Welcome to the Fitness Oracle. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Matt Scheiferly from Red Delta Project. He has been coaching people on how to use calisthenics and minimalist fitness methods for over 15 years through using principle-based approach to diet and exercise. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, John. It's great to be on here. I'm really excited to be talking about uh, basic ways we can make things as simple and easy as possible for everybody. Perfect. And maybe I won't butcher the calisthenics. I, I can never say that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just say body weight training. That's the same kind of deal. Okay, sounds good. Body weight training. So what, <laughs> what was it that pushed you to get into the fitness industry? Um. It's weird because I've always kind of been interested in being active, but I was never very good at sports and stuff. I know a lot of people in the fitness industry start off with activities that, uh, oh, you know, my dad taught me how to play hockey and I was always an athlete and stuff. I was the worst athlete in the world growing up as a kid. And I was never good at sports to any degree. I played basketball in junior high and in the eighth grade, I hit a career high of six points. And, and that wasn't in a game. That was all season. I hit six points all season. So that kind of gives you an idea of how bad of an athlete I was. But I always just liked to expend energy. I always was a fiddler. I always liked to uh, fidget with things and stuff. So I had a lot of energy. And being physically active was a good way to go about that. So I spent a lot of my youth just being active, riding bikes and kind of running around to Vermont where I grew up and stuff. But uh, the idea of being physically active and turning that into a career didn't occur to me till after college. It'd be like saying, oh yeah, you can get a business or a career playing video games and watching Netflix or something. It's just something I did for fun. So when I got out of college, I worked at a shop that sold exercise equipment, home fitness equipment. And that kind of was me getting into the business of fitness. It wasn't even how to exercise or anything. It was learning all about things from the equipment side of things. And then it just kind of snowballed into, oh, well, how do you use this better? And, oh, let me uh, learn more about how to be a trainer. And one thing leads to another. And here we are. Now I'm, I've got uh, you know, all these resources online and I've basically turned my life into how do I teach people how to get in the best shape of their lives as easily as possible? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, what was the shift from traditional training to, I'm going to use body weight training because I don't want to butcher, I don't want to butcher that word again. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I started off like a lot of people do. They I started off with body weight training and cause I didn't have any resources growing up. I didn't have any, I didn't have access to gyms and stuff. So pushups and, Crunches were the order of the day, but of course I didn't get very far with it. And eventually I did find my way into the equipment heavy world. Cause when I was selling equipment, like that was my mentality was equipment is what gets you in shape. And I was absolutely obsessed with lifting weights with the equipment side of things. Like what's the best dumbbell handle. And I would be up until 2 AM on the internet searching like, what's the best kind of weight plate to be using and all these sorts of things, absolute obsession, still carry that obsession to this day in many ways, but uh, it was very high maintenance. Like I was always trying to figure out how can I 
have the more sustainable approach to fitness because I knew that the more dependent I was on that equipment, the less true control I had over my body and the autonomy over my results. So it kind of was a push and pull thing like, oh, everyone knows that you need 15 pieces of equipment to optimize your chest routine and stuff. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but are you going to do that for the rest of your life? Are you really going to have three hour workouts where you're using every piece of equipment in the gym forever? Like this isn't something you can keep doing. So by the time I was about 30, I was getting really burned out. I was really kind of beat up and uh, sore, a lot of sorts of things. And then I came across this idea of progressive calisthenics through the book Convict Conditioning, which when it, when it first came out and the message in that book was, well, yeah, you can do it with bodyweight training if, if you want. Here's kind of a path on how you can do it. And it was like this little fantasy in the back of my mind finally took root because I always kind of thought like, wouldn't it be great if you didn't need a gym? Like, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to spend five hours every day setting up all this equipment and stuff? But it was kind of like, yeah, well, wouldn't it be great if I just, you know, won the Powerball too and could communicate with animals and teleport everywhere? Like it was a, it was a fantasy. So convict conditioning was basically, no, no, it, it, it's possible if you want to do it. And that planted the seed for how to figure this out. And at that same time, things were coming out like uh, the TRX had just barely come out. Suspension training was becoming more popular. I was getting in on that. Weighted calisthenics was becoming more popular. People like this is a, you know, weight vest that you can get on Amazon and stuff. And so all these things started coming together. It's like, oh, maybe this is possible. So I've been going down the rabbit hole ever since of, okay, not only is this possible, but how can I really make this to a whole new level of proficiency? Not just treating bodyweight training like a secondary method of training, but even in many ways, a superior method from other conventional, more equipment-based methods. Interesting. What would you say that the hardest part of your transition was? Um, that's a very good question. There wasn't a whole lot that was really that hard, uh, to be honest. Uh, I took to it pretty quick and pretty easily because I just, I wanted it so bad. And it wasn't that difficult for me to uh, move to it. I would say the biggest change was needing to change how my mindset was on what makes exercise effective. Because when we have an equipment-based mindset, because again, I was coming from the mindset of, well, it's equipment that gets you in shape. It's using equipment that gets you in shape, not realizing that the reason why you get in shape is because you're using your body. <laughs> It's because of how you use your body with equipment that gets you in shape. But the equipment itself isn't what really does it. It's not the weights. It's not the smithing or the leg press or anything. It's how well you use your own body. So I never really took that approach. I always figured, yeah, you get on the leg press, you just push it and there you go. That's going to make it all happen for you. So learning that, no, Matt, you need to learn how to use your body better in order to get better results was a very humbling thing because as I had mentioned, I was always a really bad athlete growing up and largely because I didn't know how to use my own body very well. And even to this day, that's now the cornerstone of all of my training is the purpose of my workouts is learning how to use my body in a more proficient way. How do I use my back? How do I use my legs better? How do I use my hips better? Because when you improve that proficiency, 
all of that stuff gets more effective, the exercises, the workouts and stuff like that. But learning that was very humbling because it meant that all of the attention that I had towards what I thought was producing results wasn't the thing that was actually producing results. And I had to basically not use body weight training, but just change my whole mindset towards what exercise really was all about in the first place. It's interesting that you said it because I have been doing a little bit more research on you on uh, on Amazon and you're into ta- uh, Taekwondo, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did, did that help with the transition to uh, body weight training? Somewhat, yeah. Because when I got really into the body weight, I'm like, okay, this is kind of my thing now. My mind started shifting more towards, well, you know, most of the stuff you're already doing is body weight training, like hiking is body weight training, and backcountry skiing and Taekwondo is body weight training. It's like, oh, I've kind of been doing this stuff all this time. But again, it was an awakening of I've been doing Taekwondo since I was 10 years old. And I always applied the philosophy of just go hard or go home, go as, as much as I can, kick as hard as you can, just blood, sweat, and tears. That's the answer to everything sort of approach in my Taekwondo training. But when I started to get more into the technical side of bodyweight training and realize, oh no, it's about learning how to use my body better. A lot of the things that I did learn in Taekwondo that my instructor always tried to tell me was like things like be a technician and kick with technical proficiency. Don't just throw your leg out and hope to hell you hit something. Like be a very precise engineer focused approach to your Taekwondo. Now that started to make sense. So I started to apply that same philosophy of improving my physical proficiency, not just in calisthenics to Taekwondo. And it was like a cycle. The more proficient I became in Taekwondo for using my body there, the better the calisthenics got. And the better I got at being able to use my body in calisthenics, the better my Taekwondo got. (laughs) And it just created this endless feedback loop of, hey, if I get better at doing lunges, that makes my kicks better. Not because I'm doing kicks, not because I'm doing a lunge program or anything, it's because I'm learning how to use my hips better and opening up those hamstrings, which means now I don't have that tension holding back my sidekick. Hey, great, now I can kick better. And it's just this, like I said, a a feedback loop and everything's just going up and up and up improving, even though the amount of work and effort I'm putting into it is either the same or even much less than what I was putting in before. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like I'm I'm in martial arts myself. I do Sistema Russian martial arts and you can see the the whole, this is why I reached out because I I could see there's a huge connection between the martial arts and uh, body weight training because we actually do the stuff. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that later. Um, Have you ever felt like quitting? No, no. I mean, I guess that's a, that's a, another holdover from martial arts. Um, there were a couple times I've wanted to quit, but I've been in this game long enough to know that the desire to train and motivation ebbs and flows. And in those moments where I want to quit, I know that in the not too distant future, there's going to be a point where I'm going to want to keep going and I'm going to wish I didn't quit. And I'm going to regret it if I did. And if I do quit, then that gap may even be longer. Like if I keep going, I could get right back into the saddle and feel great about things a couple of weeks from now. But if I quit, 
it could be a couple of years from now. And I'm like, yeah, I think I want to get back into this sort of thing. And by that point, I've got to put in all this work to make up ground, whereas I could have been miles ahead. So there's a number of reasons like that that tell me, no, you don't want to quit. And it's natural to want to quit. Like a lot of times the myth there is like, oh, you must be motivated all the time and you must jump out of bed at 5 a.m. ready to rock and roll. And I'm like, oh gosh, not even. Like never, like first of all, 5 a.m. workouts, I coach people through 5 a.m. workouts all the time. I'm like, man, you people are <laughs> strong or crazy. I don't know, but I'm not doing workouts at 5 a.m. No way, man. I've done that before. Mm -mm. So, you know, when it comes to motivation, like it's natural for it to ebb and flow. It's supposed to do that. And I've always taught people that motivation is a very simple uh, formula. It's a cost to benefit ratio. When your benefits, your perceived benefits of doing something are high and the perceived costs to doing things are low, your motivation is very high. Like imagine, okay, I'm gonna give you a job. It's very easy hours. You're making a million dollars a year and it's work you love to do. Oh, motivated to do that all the day long, right? But if you have a job in like long hours, crappy conditions, you hate what you do, the pace sucks, and it's just going to drag your life down. It's like you're going to be in the wanted section of monster.com in no time saying, how do I get out of here? I don't want to do this. So it's cost to benefit ratio. So I know for me, if I have a long lull of motivation and things are diving down, that tells me one of two things. It tells me something I'm doing isn't very efficient. So I'm putting in more effort than I should and or that what I'm doing isn't producing the results or the, um, not so much results, but the benefits that I'm looking for. Like it's not making me feel very good. It's not making me feel mentally or physically good after the workout. So then I start looking into it as, a, all right, so why don't the workouts feel fun right now? Why doesn't my body feel good during these pull-ups and stuff? It could be just a little imbalance issue or something, or maybe it's an approach of saying, well, you're going about this the wrong way. One of the things that I've recently done uh, to adapt my training, because the, the new job that I have has me very different situations every single day. Like some days I'm on my feet a lot, some days I'm sitting, some days I sleep in, some days I gotta be up at four. I'm all over the place physically. So I noticed that when I was doing my physical, my um, workout structured routines, it was very hit or miss on my workouts. Like some workouts, I just felt very bad. Like, oh, I just no energy. I don't feel like this. My shoulders are killing me. I don't want to do this sort of thing. So of course, motivation is really low. So that's when I started to notice like, well, why are you working late today? Like you did this thing for work the other day that just trashed your legs. Why are you working legs? Well, it's Tuesday. I got to work legs. Tuesday is leg day. I'm like, well, who says? Like, what good is going is working your legs going to do today? You're tired. Your knees are sore. Your hamstrings are tight as guitar strings. What makes you think you're going to have a good workout? So using that, I was like, all right, I'm going to train my legs on the days when I feel like I can get the best leg workout, when they feel the best, when I feel the best for this. So I waited several days and I got it. And my leg workout was amazing. I smashed it out of the, out of the park kind of thing. I was like, that was amazing. That felt so freaking good. Oh my gosh. And that evolved into the methods that I'm using now, which is more of a freestyle training where every day I don't have a structured routine. I'm basically working whatever I kind of feel like working that day. 
And what that's done is ensured that I'm not spending more energy than I need to and I'm optimizing my workouts. So when I do something, I am ready to throw down. It's like my legs are ready for anything today. This is gonna be great. And I do the leg workout and I feel amazing from it. So the cost went way down, the benefits went way up because I have this flexible approach. So now I'm back on the game with motivation. But if I just thought, well, motivation is low, I guess I'm gonna quit. Maybe I'm not this kind of person, I can't do anything right, yada, yada then I would miss out on all that great opportunity and all that learning and lessons that I've now got that can potentially benefit me for years to come. It's interesting that you said that because I did hear you on one of your podcasts talk about that. And that really, it kind of confused me because when I was looking at like myself, for example, like, and I'm sure most people out there that are in the gyms, they have the schedule that they follow, you know, uh, three days on one day off three days on one day off so i'm like wait a second this doesn't make any real sense but the more you talk about it can you talk a little bit more to these um uh what did you call them the more flexible workouts yeah i call them freestyle 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 training training. so basically whatever you feel like working out you work out exactly exactly because I'm, I know me, like I'm the kind of person, like I said, high energy, I'm active. I'm, I want to be active. So I have the emotional and mental set points in myself where I will work myself into the ground if I let myself. I'm usually more having to tell myself, take a rest as opposed to go to the exercise. So I'm always saying, what can I do now? Like, can I, can, I, can I work out now? Can I be active now? Can I do this? Can I do, I don't wanna sit still, right? So for me, I know that about myself, to make myself exercise is not the problem. Making myself hold back is the problem. And most people are one or the other. Like you're either the type who's like, I need to be told to exercise or else I'm never gonna do it. Versus some people are like, I need to be told to slow down or else I'm not going to to slow down and give myself rest. So if you're one of those individuals who's like, I need to be told to exercise, the structured approach may be more beneficial for you. It may be better because uh, you're the kind of person who's like, I'm not gonna go unless it's in my schedule and I got a trainer waiting for me saying, you have to do this right now. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that doesn't make you like less motivated or anything. That's just kind of your approach and your personality to training. But if, if you're also the kind of person who's like, I want to work out, but boy, some days it's just not in the cards because of whatever reason. I encourage people. I say, yeah, skip your workout today. I, I tell people all the time. They come into the gym. They're like, not feeling it today. I'm like, all right, five minutes. We're going to give it five minutes. After five minutes, if you're still feeling this way, we're going to cut it and we're just going to try it for another day. No harm, no foul. And of course, nine times out of 10, after five minutes, they're like, no, I'm feeling good. Let's go. But sometimes, yeah, for whatever reason, then they're like, no, not in the cards, not happening today. I'm like, okay, then this probably isn't the day you should be doing this. Because we have to remember that the whole entire point of a workout is to stimulate a physiological response to change, to tell the body, hey, you need to step up and go to a higher level. And the way we do that is we say, okay, I know you did this last time. Now do it one time better than before. 
uh, faster, bigger, stronger, fast, uh, more reps, whatever it is. Like you've got to elevate your performance. If you're coming in and you are not going to be elevating jack squat, then what's really the point? Like, yeah, you're getting physical activity, you're blowing off stress, that's good too. You know, that could be the point. But the way I see it is if your chances of creating an effective stimulus are really low and you think, but if I give myself another day, I can come back stronger. Well, then come back another day. And the general on the field doesn't go into battle saying, well, we're probably going to lose this one. But it says here on Tuesday, we've got to attack, you know, at dawn kind of things like, no, if you wait for the reinforcements and you can win the battle, wait for the reinforcements. Be smart about it. And the whole art of war kind of thing, like don't be a fool and rush into a losing battle. Go in and say, this is when we can attack and have the best chance of victory. And that's going to be the best chance of having a good workout. Your motivation is going to go up and you're developing more autonomy because now the workout structure is not in charge. You're in charge and saying, this is what's actually best. That's really interesting. And like I said, like it goes completely against from everything that, you know, all trainers think and go, which is refreshing to, t- to say the least. It's always good to have another view, a refreshing view. Another refreshing, interesting view that you have is your quote unquote diets, the way you look at it, your approach, you call them micro diets. Can you elaborate a little bit what a micro diet is and how would you use it to your clients? Right, right. So micro diets or another word I use more commonly is calorie hacking. So I'm not at all a big believer in this idea of like long sustained restrictive eating. In, in fact, in, in my opinion, a healthy diet should be as satisfying and enjoyable as possible. It shouldn't give you cravings. It shouldn't give you hunger. It shouldn't make you feel bad about food. It should just be good, 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 good. All benefit, no downsides, ideally, in an ideal world. But Oftentimes, like, it's like, well, if I do need to lose weight, like I do want to uh, get some calories out of my body, how do I go about that? And the, the tricky thing is, is we oftentimes, when it comes to weight loss, completely forget about one of the most basic physiological laws of nature, which is uh, homeostasis, which basically means, again, when we create a stimulus in the body, body says, oh, wow, we're kind of off kilter here a little bit. I better adapt and I bring myself back into balance. And that's a very good thing if you want to do, you know, living and surviving and stuff. Because if you don't maintain homeostasis, you're not around for very long. So every time we are losing weight, our body sees that as a threat to survival and we're losing weight and it's going to adapt. But because it's adapting, it's going to force you back into homeostasis sooner or later. All diets ultimately are not weight loss diets, they're weight maintenance diets. Whatever approach you're using ultimately prevents you from losing weight because your body adapted to what it was. That's in your body's mind. That's what it's trying to do. You cut out carbs, you did an intermittent fasting, or you eat nothing but raw steak or whatever. Your body says, oh, you're out of a way to not lose weight under these new conditions or else this guy is going to be pushing up daisies before too long. So when we look at it and we're like, I stopped losing weight, what's wrong? And the reality is nothing's wrong. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. So what can we do about that? Because anything you do long-term and sustain habits is going to make that happen. You cannot prevent homeostasis. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. 
So what we do in calorie hacking or these micro diets is we're saying, okay, any sustained habits are going to create this homeostatic effect and you're going to adapt to it. So don't do it long term. Do it short term. Do it for a small window. And that way there's a stimulus, but your body's not going to necessarily have this long-term adaptation period to it. So instead of saying, I'm going to reduce my calories or cut back on this or that for weeks on end, you do it for like 48 hours and then you stop purposely. You're like, good, I'm off the diet. You know, people think, oh, if you're off the diet, you've quit. It's like, no, stop purposely. Because at that point, your body's going to be like, okay, well, it was a rough 48 hours. We didn't have as much as we usually eat and maybe didn't eat at all or whatever, but uh, looks like we weathered the storm. So we're so good. No problem. Meanwhile, those calories that you physically removed from your diet and you burned off, they're, they're gone. They are history. They are no longer in your body. They are pasta lasagna, don't get any on you kind of thing. So you have essentially hacked calories off. It's kind of like micro liposuction kind of thing. Now, the, the big mistake with this is a couple of things. One is people make a habit of it. And they're like, well, I do an intermittent fast every Tuesday and Thursday. And it's like, yeah, but now you're giving yourself consistent stability. You've given yourself a body, something it can adapt to because <laughs> your body's getting used to it. Um, and the other thing too is compensation where people are like, oh, I cut way back over the week or whatever. Now on the weekend and they overeat and they put it back and they, they basically just replace it. And so they, they went this and then they went that and now they're back to where they started. So the purpose of a calorie hack is relatively short term, but it's something you plan in your daily life. Like, oh man, I got this cruise coming up, not going to happen on the cruise. But, you know, Tuesday, I've got a pretty easy day at the office. I'm going to have, you know, work through lunch. I'm going to have just a an, piece of fruit and a yogurt for lunch and stuff. So you really, you cut back on a lot of calories during the day. It's like, that's going to be an easy day for a calorie hack. And then the next day, and you go right back to where you normally go. And that way you're kind of using homeostasis, which is one of the most powerful laws of mother nature to your advantage rather than your detriment is... You can't fight it and win, but you can use it to your advantage. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, I've also heard you talking on your, uh, on your podcast, the Red Delta Project on iTunes, about overcoming isometric. What exactly mm -hmm. is that? And how can somebody overcome an isometric hold? Okay, so overcoming isometrics is a... It's a name of a type of isometric. So uh, there's two different kinds. There's yielding and there's overcoming isometric. So to kind of put this into example here, a yielding isometric is holding your body or a, your, a part of your body in one position against a set level of resistance. So like if you held a five pound dumbbell out to your side, like a lateral raise and you held it out there, that's a yielding isometric. Because I'm not moving but the amount of tension I'm generating in my muscles is respective of the weight in my hand. So it's not moving, but if I put a 10 pound in my hand, now I'm forcing my shoulder and my abs and everything else to generate more tension to hold it there. So that's a yielding isometric. And if I should not be able to put as much tension in the muscle, then I start to drop down. But I only need to 
much tension in the muscle to hold the weight up. And so that's yielding. Now, overcoming would be like if I stepped on a rope and I lifted the, the rope up to the side and I pulled that rope upwards as hard as I possibly could. I was trying to snap the rope with my hands, right? Now, the amount of tension in my muscles can be as high as I can possibly generate because the amount of resistance uh, that rope is providing is always equal to the amount of force I'm pulling against. So if I don't pull against it very much, the resistance is low. If I pull against it even harder, the resistance goes up and it always meets it. So with overcoming isometrics, what you're doing is essentially training your nervous system to be able to use your muscles better. So going back to what I was saying earlier about how the effectiveness of a workout depends entirely on how well you know how to use your body, which is basically how well you know how to use your muscles. The people are like, okay, so how do I do that? Like, that's a really hard thing to do. It's kind of like learning a language. How do you learn French? Like, that's a really time intensive and very hard thing to do. And a lot of us, like myself, not the most physiologically gifted, right? So what overcoming isometrics allows us to do is in a very safe, very efficient and extremely low skill environment teaches us how to use our muscles extremely well, very, very quickly. To put this into perspective, when I started to really learn about what I call neuromuscular proficiency, which is basically how well do you use your muscles, I started to work on the neuromuscular proficiency of some of my muscles in my back. I was aware of like, oh, some of the stuff back there just does not talk in the way it should be, right? And I worked on that with various exercises and physical therapy things for two years, and I made some progress. And when I started playing around with overcoming isometrics, I made more progress in two days with overcoming isometrics than I had in the previous two years. Suddenly pull-ups, rows, everything I was using my back for went through the roof very quickly. And that really like spun my head around. I was like, holy smokes, this stuff is insanely powerful. But not only is it powerful, it's extremely easy to use. It's extremely low skill. Anybody can do it. I give it to people with injuries. I give it to people who are like, I can't do anything right. Trust me, you can do this. Like anybody can do this and it works very, very well because it always puts you right at the limits of your abilities, but it never overwhelms you. So you're always giving yourself exactly the amount of resistance and intensity that you need for your circumstances. And that's why I'm, I'm such a big advocate for it. Cool. Uh, can you share some of those techniques? Like if somebody has like a, uh... Uh, one of the erector spinae in the back that's not really speaking. Can you, how do you, how would you go about waking that a muscle up? Sure. Okay. Well, the easiest, easiest techniques, one of my favorites uh, to wake up the back, one of the easiest things that you can do is you sit on the floor uh, with your legs straightened out in front of you, feet together. You can have your knees a little bit bent and you want to take uh, something that you can kind of uh, put over your feet, over the bottoms of your feet. Uh, in the early days, I used a uh, bed sheet. You can use a towel. Yoga straps work pretty well. I've heard people use things like martial arts belts. Uh, that works pretty well. Uh, towels, I've got now what I call my ISO loop, which is an isometric device, which is basically just a, a nylon strap with a cam buckle on it. So if you've got like cargo straps lying around, some people have used suspension trainers. It really is a very simple process. So basically what you do is you set the handles so that 
your arms are bent at about a 90 degree angle with your chest up and your shoulders back. So think of like a seated row on a cable machine. Uh, that's about uh, three quarters of the way there. And basically you just pull against that object that you have around your feet as hard as you possibly can. When I, when I give people this exercise and they've got like a, a strap or something, I, I tell them, I say, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you can break that strap. Because you know, I, I don't want them to pull hard. I want them to pull like what I, what I call angry tension. Like, you know, when you're so pissed off and you're just like, you know, and you just want to tear the door off the hinges and everything. That's where I want you to go mentally. That's what you want to do. Just, I don't care. Like break that strap, please. I'd love to see it kind of thing. And what that does is it will naturally kick things on. You can have the, the weakest muscles. You could have the most uh, sleepy muscles. You could have muscle imbalances. Your brain, when you're doing rows, you could be like, I don't feel this at all in my lats, or I don't feel this at all in the back of my shoulders. It doesn't matter. That exercise will force those muscles to work and wake up very quickly. And even if you don't feel it in the first day, don't worry about it. Give it a few days. <laughs> it might take a couple of days, but the great thing about overcoming isometrics is it's very low. Um, it generates very little, not so much waste product, but it um, doesn't beat you up. It doesn't beat you up. So you don't need to recover from it like you would with heavy weightlifting. Like you can do a hard overcoming isometrics workout, do the exact same thing tomorrow. No problem at all. You'll be ready for it for sure. If, if not, at least the next day, for sure, for sure. So you, you get that frequency and within a week, I mean, people are coming to me and they're like, oh my gosh, is this how my body's supposed to feel? Like, yeah, you know, they're like, I've been training for years and my back, my shoulders, my hips, like I've never felt this way. Is this how it feels to you? And I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep, now you got it. But the beautiful thing is it teaches them so incredibly fast and so easy that it's almost impossible to mess this stuff up. Like just grip it and rip it as hard as you can. It's almost impossible to mess it up. And it, it teaches your muscles, it gets them basically back online very quickly. And then that education, I mean, in and of itself, it's a good workout. Then you can take that and carry it over into the cable machine or the weights or the calisthenics and all this other stuff. And it takes the effectiveness of those and it just shoots it straight to the roof. You'll make one set more effective than 10 because you're more averse at using your own muscles. So you're basically hacking your own nervous system to make your workouts far more effective and safer and a hell of a lot more enjoyable. They're very satisfying. Like, oh my God, it just feels amazing. So your motivation goes through the roof. Plus the cost of doing it is so low. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Why not? Sure. High cost, low uh, or high benefit, low cost. Why not? It's wonderful. Awesome. You just actually answered my next question. So I'll just skip to the next one. <laughs> yep. Um, what if somebody was suffering from depression, came to you and you saw that they are suffering from depression, how could your unique method help them? Well, movement is a very just powerful uh, hormone balancer. I mean, all that stuff, dopamine, serotonin and stuff gets released with activity. But the thing we always, well, I shouldn't say always, but the biggest mistake we make is we treat exercise as this slave labor punishment kind of thing. Like we're not supposed to have fun. It's supposed to hurt the body and we're supposed to beat ourselves up. And we're, then we go to the diet and we're supposed to deprive ourselves and we're supposed to 
think negatively about ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, you sorry, weak, out of shape, loser, what's wrong? And it's just this downward spiral. When people are depressed, I've, I've had down times myself. I wouldn't say I've ever had depression, but what we got to do is we got to get going to a positive place because you cannot build positive results when you're in negative place, physically, mentally, or emotionally. You've got to get to a, a positive place. So what I would do is I would start off with just something that feels good, just anything at all. If you came to me and you're like, I don't want to be here and stuff. And somehow I'd be like, what kind of thing just makes you, does foam rolling makes you feel good? Rolling machine. You want to just go out and bird watch, you know, does that make you feel good? Is uh, walking your dog make you feel good? What foods make you feel good, right? What foods make you feel good? Oh, I like ice cream. Okay, then let's eat ice cream. You know, we're not going to overdo it to the point where you feel bad, but let's explore the things that we can get a toehold into positive physical, mental, and emotional feedback because we want things to make us better at the end of things and enjoy ourselves as much as possible. Because assuming that you would enjoy, you know, pull-ups would be arrogant on my part. When people come to me and they're like, I hate push-ups, hate push-ups, worst thing ever, don't ever do, but I'm like, we're not doing push-ups. No way in hell. I don't care if they're the greatest thing in the world, right? I don't care if I think they're the best exercise. You come to me and say, you do not like push-ups. We are not doing push-ups. Instead, I go, oh, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? Well, I like uh, kettlebells. All right, right this way to the kettlebell rack kind of thing. Feeling good? Okay, yeah, wonderful, great. And then, you know, I can probe a little bit and be like, well, why don't you like push-ups and stuff? Because nine times out of 10, when we don't like something, it's because we're misapplying it because we're doing it in a, in a bad way kind of thing. It's most of us like, oh, did 100 push-ups in gym class and people pointed and laughed at me and I hate doing it. I was like, okay, that's not how you do push-ups. <laughs> that's, that's a sucky way to do push-ups. Like, let me, let me show you over here. Like, let's, let's get on this uh, weight bench here and just kind of loosen up our arms, pushing up and down. Yeah, okay, feels good. Yeah, it feels, all right, now we're going to see how that carries over to your kettlebell train. Say, I made your kettlebell stronger. Yeah, wonderful, awesome. Great. Okay. Let's build this positive relationship with push-ups now. So you feel good about it, but we've got to do things that make you feel good. And I know when you're depressed, you may be like, nothing makes me feel good. You know, nothing. It's like, okay, well then let's look at what makes you feel bad. You know, what, what's going in the wrong direction. Maybe we can at least get away from that a little bit sort of thing. Just tiny little baby steps. That's all we need. We just need the momentum to move a little bit because once it starts really moving, then we're off to the races and it's going to be turning around quickly. And of course, you know, if things are pretty extreme, I, I certainly wouldn't be too afraid to call out for help. Like, okay, are you seeing anybody for some professional help? Are you taking any medications? That sort of thing. Like I wouldn't say, oh yeah, pushups will solve all of your problems because you know, I, my approaches all have a limited influence. I can't, <laughs> I'm not a miracle worker, but go from a positive place, get to a positive place as quickly as possible. And that's where things will really start to turn around. Cool. cool. Uh, do you have any special breathing techniques that you apply during your workouts and for your clients? Yeah, I really uh, recommend that people um, continue doing it. You know, that's, that's very helpful. Breathing is definitely not a trend. It's not a fad, people. Oxygen is not a, a government plot to make us all slaves. You know, it, it's a good thing to do. No, 
I joke, of course, breathing is extremely important and it's got a very strong pathway to our emotional state as well. Now, different techniques require different breathing techniques. Like if you're a power lifter, there's a special way to breathe for that when you've got 500 pounds on your back during a back squat and stuff. But above all, we want to take control of breathing. So we're doing it purposely. And we want to make sure that we are in control of our breathing so that we can breathe with confidence, I would say. Like when I'm holding an overcoming isometric, because a lot of times when people do overcoming isometrics, of course, they've got a lot of tension in their body. So their breathing is as if they're holding on to a live electric wire and they're just like, and they're not even breathing and they're turning red and everything. And it's like, we don't want that. We want your muscles going absolutely crazy, yes. But still keep your diaphragm relaxed enough so that you can breathe to some degree, you know, in a, in a controlled way. Because when we hold our breath, we immediately put our body into a fight or flight response. And when we're in that, we're mentally, we're starting to think, get me the hell out of here. Like, I don't want to be here. This is bad. This is a bad situation. It makes you panic. It tells your body that what you're doing is bad for you. It's dangerous. Now, again, there's exceptions to that. Like you do that very same thing when you've got 500 pounds on your back. But then again, that is dangerous. You do need to trigger that sort of uh, parasy- that, uh, uh, that sympathetic nervous system response because you are in a dangerous situation and you are in an extreme situation. You do need, do need to make that happen, but only for a few seconds. Uh, with regular workouts though, if you continuously do that and you're holding your breath, then you're sending those stress response signals throughout your body. And then we go throughout our day and we're really shallow breathing and we're just tight breathing. And again, that's sending more stress hormones through our system. So breathing deep, you know, sometimes in my own workouts, I'll just kind of take a real nice, just and a visible exhale, trying to just get a lot of air in and a lot of air out just as a way to mentally downshift my nervous system into, yes, you're going a million miles an hour, but don't panic. (laughs) It's not all or nothing. This isn't blood, sweat, and tears here. You're here to have fun. You're here to enjoy yourself. Breathe likewise, okay? And if you can do that, then that triggers a lot more of a mental, emotional, and physiological state where you can perform at your best without being so tight and restricted all the time. Cool. Very well said. Very well said. Um, Now that the gyms are closed, what's the one single tip that you could tell someone to stay motivated I would say do something every single day. Something that makes you feel good. Something that gets you ads. It could be going out for a nature walk. It could be doing a yoga routine. It could be carrying kettlebells around the house. It's so easy to just let our bodies slide back. And I would even go so far as to say that like the freestyle training, like have fun. Play with your workouts, play with your physical activity. Um, If you're the type of person who's always kind of finding yourself on the couch, then yeah, maybe schedule in a little bit of activity and stuff, but don't underestimate the incredible amount of power that comes with just even a tiny little bit of movement, even something for 30 seconds. I have a, um, I have a a ebook, a free ebook on rdp.com where 
it's basically, it's, I call it the ultimate minimalist fitness program. And the exercise portion of it is about very basic exercises that you can do in a playful manner. And it's just on a floor. You don't need any equipment. You don't need any sort of special skills. You can just play through these movements, kind of literally like a baby crawling on the floor kind of thing. And doing that on a daily basis can do unbelievably powerful things for your mental, physical, and emotional state. And don't worry too much about like, do I do it right? And how many sets and reps and stuff? Don't even worry about that. Because the great thing about physical activity is it always works. It doesn't need to meet a very special requirement for it to suddenly like kick in. I call it the Cinderella myth. You know, at the stroke of midnight, everything changes. And we've got these ideas of like, okay, I'm doing my exercise and it only counts after 20 minutes and then I start burning fat. Or I'm doing my repetitions, but I don't tell my muscle to build, to get bigger and stronger until I've done 10 reps or whatever the case may be, right? All physical activity does something and it does a lot more than you think it does. So I would say do something every day, be playful, see what you feel like doing, be creative, have some fun, look up some new exercises on YouTube, look up a couple new things, see if you can't just dust off those dumbbells in the basement, put them through a good uh, use because there's a ton of great stuff out there on the internet and don't worry about getting it right. Just do something fun and don't worry and your body will tell Tell you if something's off. And you're like, I don't know if I'm quite up for this. Okay, then fine. Downplay it. Shift it. Uh, downshift. Go into, uh, cut the workout in half. Go with a half a weight, half a reps, half, half a set. And just tr start off nice and easy. Because when you're having fun and you're enjoying how you, you use your body, you can't lose. Yeah, true. Where do you see yourself in the next five years for your business? Oh, five years, great things are coming, man. I got big things coming, big things. Now, um, I mean, RDP's got seven books out now. I've got my eighth one coming out later this summer. Um, the sequel to my first book, Fitness Independence, will be coming out. And that's going to be a massive game changer, not just in fitness, just but in our entire approach to life and personal freedom and liberation. Uh, so that's going to be, that's going to be kind of my opus right there. Uh, I'm working on some technology stuff on the body weight side. I'm working on some new equipment stuff that's uh, coming out as well. Um, I'm refining a lot of my approaches now. So a lot of the stuff that's really coming out now isn't so much anything new, but a hell of a lot more efficient and better versions of what I've had already. And so that's what's coming out in the next couple of years. Like right now, my best-selling book, Grind Style Calisthenics, is a fantastic program, but I'm already outlining ways to make that book better in another version, which will probably be out sometime mid middle of next year. And I wrote it last year. So things are going to continue to become a hell of a lot more efficient and more powerful because that's what Delta represents. This red Delta project, that's what the Delta represents is getting the most from the least because it's, as we are saying about motivation, like if great results were enough, then we'd all dedicate ourselves to eating great and working out all the time. End of discussion. I, I tell people all the time, you want the best possible results? I know exactly how to do it. World-class. People are like, yeah, I'm like, great. Move to Colorado Springs. That's where the Olympic Training Center is. Go there, hire a team of people to work with you. That's world-class results. And after they're standing there for a few minutes, I'm like, well, what are you people doing here? Go, like, what's wrong with you? What are you, lazy? You know, of course not. Because we oftentimes, we forget that 
everything we do in, in life and especially in fitness comes at a cost. And we need to recognize that cost is still a very important variable. But in here in the West, here in America, we've kind of got this workaholic, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mentality of like, just pay whatever price, who cares kind of thing. And that's how we burn ourselves out. That's how we get depressed. That's how we lose motivation. That's how we beat our body up of just saying, I'll pay whatever cost I have to pay because the results will justify it. But that's not at all the case. That's why people quit. So the Delta represents how do I get as much as possible, but with the lowest cost, as easy as possible, shorter workouts, easier methods, overcoming isometrics, super simple, super easy, takes only a few minutes, but it'll completely transform how you use your body. That's a Delta method. That's very Delta. And that's more of what's coming in five years is stuff that's going to be far more powerful, far more effective, and a fraction of the cost and effort required by conventional methods right now. I really am really in excited about that. And I want to see more. I can't wait to <laughs> see <am> more. <laughs> How about you personally? Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, right now I'm living in uh, near Denver, Colorado, and I really hope in five years I can move out to the mountains. I want to be in the mountains. I want to be able to ski every day or bike hike most every single day. And uh, I hope to have more free time to goof off and play around every day. Because right now I've got, you know, 14, 15, 16 hour work days kind of stuff, which I don't mind. I love all the work I'm doing, but I want to have more fun and play time. And uh, yeah, the, my, my kind of one of my long-term goals is I want to live in the mountains and I want to ski every day. Well, in the winter, of course. I mean, it's kind of hard in the summer, although not technically. We do have summer skiing here in Colorado. There's a, there's a place called St. Mary's Glacier, which is a glacier in the middle of the summer. You can go skiing. It's not very good skiing, but it is skiing in the middle of August. And I've done it before, but uh, ski every day, man. That's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, what's the one thing that you do every day to stay inspired? Um, scroll endlessly through Instagram. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's amazing though, how much we go through stuff like that. And we're like, yeah, this is really inspiring me. And it's like, no, it's not. Come on. Are you, when was the last time anybody's like, oh man, I saw this thing on Facebook. It would totally change my life kind of thing. Um, the thing that gets me inspired, I know this is the thing that people say not to do and stuff, but on the Red Delta Project YouTube channel, I read the comments all the time. I go through the comments every single day. And the reason why I do that is because people are applying the stuff, they're getting results, they show me appreciation, they show me uh, examples of how it's changed things. That's what inspires me, is when I put out a video Something that was even like 10 years ago and someone's like, hey, this trick took care of my shoulder pain or this is really helping me see dieting in a new light or something like that. That's inspiring to me because the whole reason why I got into this game is because I used to struggle a lot more with this stuff. I used to go to bed every night thinking, I don't know how much longer I can keep this rat race up and how much longer I can take this, but I'm still by desire to make some changes. So how do I get myself out of this dead end scenario? And I used to be there and I'm not there at all anymore. For now, it's almost effortless and a hell of a lot of fun for me to stay in shape. But I know out there, there are people in that scenario. I know like out there in Nebraska somewhere, there's some kid 
wants to build some muscle and he's on the farm and he doesn't have a gym and he doesn't have anything but bales of hay to work with. And he's like, but how do I do this? And I'm really struggling with it. And he's not feeling too good about himself. And if he can find my stuff and I make the right video for him, I can change their life and turn things around. And that's what inspires me and really gets me out of bed in the morning. That's really cool. I'm sure you're going to do it. Like, I mean, I've, I've been sifting through your stuff. I'm like, okay, this stuff is really, it's really good. Actually. I'm like, I was like, okay, this, this stuff really makes sense. It's really easy to apply. Why not? You know, I'm actually trying some of it myself. So guilty. Uh, Thank you, man. Thank you, John. That's a lot. Of course. Tell me of a time where you had a hard time with your training. What did you do to get out of it? And how did you handle it when you're in that hard time? Hmm. I've had a lot of hard times with my training. Um, I'll I'll tell you this, this kind of personal story back in the day, this was long before I was into like fitness career or anything, but I was a, I was a bike racer back in college and uh, during the off season in the winter, because the winters in Vermont brutal, you don't ride a bike in the winter very, very much or very far in the winter. So I was doing a ton of cardio in the uh, gym. Now, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have hardly done any cardio in the winter. I would have been doing strength training and probably a little bit of sprint work and that would have been it. But I was under the, the mindset of you've got to still do a lot of cardio every single day in order to stay in shape for spring racing season. So that was was my approach. And I just forced myself to do cardio every day, regardless of how I felt about it and regardless of whether or not I wanted to do it. And I thought I was a tough badass for forcing myself to do it until one day I got on that bike and I tried pushing myself as hard and my body just would not go. It would not, it just could not turn those pedals on the easiest setting. And after about several minutes of trying, I just was so demoralized and so frustrated. I just broke down and cried right there in the middle of the gym and eventually just left and went home and felt sorry for myself. I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I? And of course, at the time I was thinking, why am I such a wimp and a loser? And I can't ride an exercise bike. I'm such a pathetic, worthless excuse of a human being because I can't ride in it. You know, this is the negative talk going through. And about a, a couple days later, I got a call from the local mountain biking facility, which in the winter is a cross country ski facility. And I was good friends with them. And they're like, hey, Matt, we need some front, uh, some front desk help. Uh, can you go and just Saturdays, like man the front desk, we'll pay as a part-time job and you get a ski pass. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I'm not doing anything on the weekends. So I did that and I got into cross country skiing. And for the rest of this, the winter, I hardly did any cardio in the gym. And I was like, I just can't do it. I just physically cannot bring myself to do that anymore. So I'm going to do this outdoor stuff. I'm going to go cross-country skiing all the time. And that spring, I had one of my best racing seasons ever. Because cross-country skiing was freaking awesome, right? And so to get out of that situation, I literally got out of that situation. I got out of the gym and I went outside. (laughs) I stopped doing cardio and I went and did cross-country skiing instead. When we hit a point where things are really hard in a situation, a lot of times I'm a big fan, again, of get out. Get out of that and go with a different plan. There's nothing wrong with quitting. 
quitting your current situation is a very good thing, especially if you're getting out of a bad situation and you can get yourself into a very good one. And I always recommend try and have a plan B, something you can go to. That way you're upgrading. Like you wouldn't take your current like smartphone and throw it away. Be like, this phone sucks, battery life sucks and throw it away and be with nothing. No, you're like this phone sucks. I'm gonna get rid of it when I get the new one. When, once I've upgraded to the next one, I'm getting rid of it because I get the new one. So upgrade everything, upgrade your approaches to something that makes you feel better, that's more fun, that's more enjoyable, that's more in alignment with your resources, preferences, and lifestyle. And that was the strategy that I took. And to this day, it's still, of, all right, if this isn't my cup of tea, how do I get out of this? And what do I want to go to instead? Interesting. Oh, it's very good because right now there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, um, stuck in their own heads because of this, the last couple of months. So you hit some really good points with that one story about your past. And I think that's going to help, hopefully help somebody just to get out and just do something. I hope so. Uh, if you could you pick don't up. You have to stay where you are. Yeah. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you're 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Get on a damn pull-up bar. <laughs> yes. Don't do so much cardio. Don't worry about what you're eating. Like you don't stop restricting your diet for one. I was the biggest mistake I made dietary wise was I based my diet off of not eating certain foods. It's like, if you want ice cream, eat the damn ice cream, like eat, you got to fuel yourself. Um, yeah. Do some strength training because I didn't all through college. Like I didn't do hardly any strength training. I made that mistake of telling myself, ah, I don't need to work my legs. I'm a cyclist. Now I say, Oh, of course I work my legs. I'm a cyclist. You know, I, uh, that's my engine. I got to upgrade it, add some horsepower to the engine. So uh, I would say, yeah, strength training, but it doesn't need to be as hard as I'm always making the story of my life. I'm always making things 10 times harder than they need to be. And it's usually kind of in a, it's, it's an ego thing. It's, it's a self-esteem thing, right? I've, I've long had uh, issues with self-esteem when I was younger and stuff. And I'm turning it around now. And a lot of times when we suffer from low self-esteem and we have a big ego, we try to compensate with just beating ourselves over the head with hard work and just making things a lot harder than need to be because we think if we make it harder on ourselves, that proves that we're tough. That proves that we have like the chops and we're the hardest worker in the room and I'm stronger than you because I'm suffering more for my results. When now my attitude is the, the opposite. I'm like, dude, I wanna be as lazy as possible. <laughs> Like I want life to be as easy as possible to get to the goals that I want, because the reality is it's going to be hard. No matter what you do, you don't need to make fitness hard. It's going to be hard inherently. Life is going to be hard inherently. You don't need to add challenge and difficult to difficulty to it needlessly. It's going to be there anyway. So having the path of least resistance leading to the goals that you want, take those shortcuts use every ounce of leverage and advantage that you can to make it as possible. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not wimpy or lazy or anything. It's just simply being intelligent and saying that's a priority and I want to get there as quickly as possible. That's what I would have told myself 20 years ago. Nice. So basically keep it simple. Oh, very simple. Yeah. 
you think you need 10 parts to make this happen and you only need two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what keeps you up at night? Not much. I sleep like a baby, man. Uh, sleep is not a tough part for me. That's, that's one of the, the areas of a, as a trainer and a coach that I'm not very good at because when people are like, oh, I just can't get a good night's sleep, I, I'm very bad as a coach in those situations because I can't relate at all. I mean, I go to bed, I'm out. You know, getting up is hard, but uh, I don't have trouble sleeping uh, hardly ever. If I do have trouble sleeping, it's because my mind is going a mile a minute on something cool that I want to do, something new that I'm building, like a new video that I'm going to make or a new book that I'm writing. I'll, I'll be up until 3 a.m. writing an outline for my next book because I'm excited about it or a new suspension trainer design or something. That'll keep me up, but that's because I'm excited. I'm like, this is going to be so incredibly cool, awesome. I can't wait to get started on it. I'm like, I got to get some sleep. No, I, I, one more page, you know, kind of thing. That'll keep me up. But the, I don't stress out very much. It's, the problems will still be there in the morning, and they're a lot easier to deal with if you get a good night's sleep. That's good. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, not a whole lot. We covered a whole lot there. I would say the biggest takeaway that I always want to impress upon people is that you have a lot of options at your disposal. A lot of things in our fitness culture tell us that in order to get a result, you have to do things one very particular strict go by the book way. That's not at all the case. So if there's anything that you are struggling with, with diet, with exercise, if you could rub that magic lamp and have a genie come out and give me a wish. If there's something you could wish away from your diet or exercise routine, you probably don't need that thing. You probably can get away without having that. And so if you wanna learn more about that, send me an email, reddeltaproject.gmail.com. I'll tell you how to, you can give up that thing that you don't like and probably find something that's gonna be even more effective for you. Cool, uh, where else can people find you? So yep, anything Red Delta Project. I know it's a weird name, but again, the Delta is very symbolic. Red is strength and stuff. RedDeltaProject.com, Red Delta Project YouTube channel, Red Delta Project on Instagram. And yeah, I mean, if you go to RedDeltaProject.com, everything is there from the podcast, the YouTube channel, the books I've written. And as always, RedDeltaProject at gmail.com, pretty easy to remember there. Uh, that's how you can get in touch with me directly. And I invite people to make use of it. And I invite people to go over because uh, Matt's got some really good material over there. I downloaded one of his books and I literally could not stop reading it. I was just, I, I honestly, I, I was floored. I was like, wow, this goes completely against everything that I've learned as a personal trainer. And if somebody could do that to me, I'm impressed. Because <laughs> I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. And uh, so Matt, Thank you so much for being on the show. It was it means a lot Thank to me. Thank you to so have, much, John. It means it's been so much. A sincere pleasure. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, thanks again. And to everybody out there listening, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world.